Thank you, Melinda. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's worth having that second reading open in front of you. Uh, if you've got a church Bible in front of you there, it's page 830, so well worth um, having that open. Matthew 5. Um, I'm getting little wafts of barbecue sort of coming across me like that, so I don't know whether that's a helpful or unhelpful thing. Um, I also appreciate on uh, hot days like today, it's, it's hard to to concentrate. I, I'm really excited about uh, this little series that we're starting and uh, this passage in particular. So I'm going to pray to ask God to help us uh, to hear him well, even in the midst of sausage wafts and uh, heat. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word to us. We thank you that it is a, a light for us, a light to uh, understand ourselves, but more importantly, to understand you and to know what it is to live rightly before you. So we pray, Father, to, uh, that you would calm our hearts and quiet them. Uh, you help us to listen well to you. Uh, we pray this for our good and for your glory's sake. Amen. So page 830, if you, uh, if you haven't got that open, that's the church Bible uh, reference. And uh, what we're doing over this next month is that we're thinking together about our direction of travel as a church, our plans uh, as a church. And that's a dangerous thing to do, uh, to start talking about our plans and our strategies and things like that. Uh, that's why I love the psalm uh, that was read for us uh, so much, especially verse 11, because it reminds us whose plans are going to prevail. Uh, psalm 33, verse 11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Uh, so here's our goal over the next month. It's to uh, let go of our plans and to line up our hearts with the plans of our God's heart because we're told here they'll prevail. Those plans will prevail. It doesn't matter what we come up with. He has a plan and he is fulfilling his plan. And our goal, our goal as a church is to line up with that plan. Uh, that's what I'm praying for us as a church in, in 2024, that we would uh, humbly but wholeheartedly pursue God's purposes for us. And if you were to try to capture God's purposes for us as a church and individually, uh, it would be actually a couple of verses on from what uh, was just read for us. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 14. Here it is. You are the light of the world, so then let the light shine. Uh, there it is. If you fall asleep for the next month, uh, there it is in one sentence. Uh, our who and our why. You are the light of the world. That's who we are. Uh, so then let the light shine. Uh, we're to be a light, uh, the light really that comes from the joy of being people of this king who've come under the leadership of King Jesus. That's where the light comes from. And a light that actually leads other people to see that light and to come to the king and to find mercy with this king. You are the light of the world. So then let the light shine. That's our who, that's our why. Here's another way of expressing it that we'll be uh, using throughout this year. Here's, a, here's what I'm praying for us as a church, uh, that we are and that we become uh, more so over time, that we be a multi-generational church family. And as you look around, we are that this morning, serving King Jesus, uh, a light, as we've just seen, for the generations to come. I think that captures who we are. I think it captures the next steps that uh, we need to take as a church specific steps 
stretching steps that we'll speak of in the coming weeks. But for now, here it is. Here's the who and the why of this place. A multi-generational church family serving King Jesus together, a light for the generations to come. And as I've been praying that in over recent weeks in the summer, one of the things that thrills me is how God is already doing that. Uh, amongst us. Uh, let me give you a few snapshots that I've, I've seen of uh, this vision sort of uh, being fulfilled by our God. Uh, the first one is actually um, one of the people I first met uh, in starting in ministry here in Morunga over 10 years ago. Her name was Kath Cock. I wonder if anybody here remembers Kath. Is it, we've got a, or a, hand, a few hands up remember Kath. Uh, by the time I met Kath, uh, she had been a follower of the Lord Jesus for many years. She loved King Jesus. She loved his people. But by this stage, she was unable to gather with his people because of her own uh, physical infirmities. She uh, lived in a nursing home in North Taramara. And uh, while she wasn't able to gather with us on a Sunday, she was keen to keep serving us. And so one of the things that she did is that we used to, on Friday afternoons, drive down uh, to where she was and uh, the, the service sheets that we were going to use that Sunday, we'd give to her and she would fold them uh, so that they were ready for us uh, on Sunday. And I remember meeting with her and her expressing the frustration that she couldn't serve in other ways. She said this to me a number of times, all I can do, Andrew, now is eat and sleep and pray. Uh, that's a pretty good life right there. But... Um, but for her, there was all sorts of frustrations in it, all sorts of ways she'd served the king before that she couldn't now. But the other thing that struck me is that every time I met with her, I left just rejoicing in Jesus because her heart was absolutely ablaze for him, despite those infirmities. Uh, here she is, a light for the generations to come. Now, let me give you another picture. It's perhaps at the other end of the spectrum from, from Kath. It was um, Monday uh, here uh, on this um, site. Uh, if you accidentally stumbled here in the middle of the day, that would have been a mistake because you would have been hit by over 100 primary school kids who were here for the swashbucklers uh, day that we've been chatting about. Um, and what was so thrilling about that is that uh, over half of them weren't in any way part of this church before that day, and a decent portion of those, I imagine, not part of any church. Uh, hearing of the treasure of knowing Jesus as king, perhaps for the first time. That's what we want to be as a church. Uh, let me give you another picture, and I was doing, coming up with these this week, and I really should have stopped at this point, but I'm going to keep going. Here we go. Um, a girl in our youth group who... Uh, Last Sunday night, she was playing keyboard in our, in our band uh, at night church. And in one sense, that's not very dramatic, but trace the steps back from that moment and you see God at work again, bringing people to himself. I remember a number of years ago, uh, this particular girl e emailed our church office and said, uh, look, I'm wondering if I'm allowed to come to the youth group. I've got some questions. <laughs> Uh, and you can imagine the youth minister at the time quite excited about that sort of email. Um, and she came along and over the course of about a year had those questions answered by the gospel of King Jesus and just last year was baptised as a follower of Jesus and there she is now serving King Jesus. Uh, that thrills me to see the way God is at work, his plans, his heart prevails. Now, one final one for you, and I know uh, we probably should get to Matthew 5 at some point. Um, another youth example, this time a youth who's new to Australia, their family is new to Australia, meeting Jesus for the first time here. 
Uh, here's a, a snippet from an email that uh, this uh, young guy's mum sent uh, to us. As a new immigrant family, Wurunga Anglican is like a home for us, especially my son who is 14 years old. He's joined the youth group on Friday nights where my son has a chance to meet new friends, to read the Bible and to know the beautiful world with the peers. My son has been enjoying the youth group very much and already introduced some, uh, it to some of his friends in the school. Anyway, we love Wurunga Anglican Church very much. Uh, there we are, multi-generational church family serving King Jesus, a light for the generations to come, like this boy. Uh, one of the things I love about uh, his story is that a couple of weeks into coming to youth group, uh, he did, as his mum says in email, they invite some of his friends from school to, to join, but uh, new to Australia, new to church, new to all of this, not sure how it works. So what he did is they got to the door and then he said to his friends, you better wait outside because I don't know whether you're allowed in. So he went, he went in and asked, are these guys allowed? And you can imagine again, the youth leaders excitedly uh, welcoming them in. That's what we're praying to be as a church. Uh, it's really how we line up with this purpose that Jesus gives us. You're the light of the world. Let that light shine. But how easy it is to have the light that we're called to be individually and together as a church, uh, as the people of this king, dimmed by, well, other things. Uh, think about your own heart. What are the things that can dim your heart from wholeheartedly living for the king? Uh, what might hold you back from treasuring God as king above other treasures? Uh, or seeking his priorities first rather than your own? Or committing to his people as your family? Or being willing to serve others humbly? It could be all sorts of things that could dim our hearts to those things. It could be other treasures that, to be honest, bring us more joy. It could be other priorities that in the, in, the, in the flurry of especially a new term starting up feel more urgent, more important, more sensible than this. Other commitments that make uh, casually committing to God's family feel logical. Other troubles, perhaps. Other trials, other sadnesses, other disappointments, perhaps even disappointment with God that can dull our heart to this. How easy it is to have our hearts grow dim to King Jesus and a light to other joys. Uh, how often, uh, and I feel this in my own heart, we have our hearts split between all sorts of other things. It's, it's a bit like one of those overloaded power boards. You've got it plugged into so many different things that, well, the light is dim as a result. The thing is, I know of only one circuit breaker for overloaded hearts like ours. It's the word of our God. It's the word that he says in Hebrews can cut right to the heart, can deal with the heart, a word that is a light itself and can enlighten even dull hearts. It reminds me of uh, the testimony of uh, the mathematician Blaise Pascal, who uh, when the, the night he became a Christian, he was reading the Gospels and uh, in his diary at the end of reading it, he simply summed up what he was reading in one word, fire, light. It changed his life forever. I'm praying that God will set such a fire in our hearts, wherever we're at. So that's it. That's our goal in 2024, to let the light shine. And to help us with that, Matthew 5 is where we're going to set up camp. And this morning, the first 12 verses. Um, if you know Matthew at all, Matthew 5 is, is the start of what's popularly called the Sermon on the Mount. 
goes through to the end of chapter 7. And really what's happening in these chapters is King Jesus is teaching uh, the first disciples, the first inhabitants of his fledgling kingdom that he's beginning, uh, what it's like to live in that kingdom, what it's like to live with him as king. And it starts like this. I hope you've got it open there in front of you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, have a look at those verses. The first thing to notice about the teaching of our king here is that it's teaching that happens in the context of crowds. Do you see it there at the start of verse 1? And that's important because Matthew talks about the crowds a lot. They're, they're these groups of people who we're told in Matthew's gospel, follow Jesus, but not as king, but just as interested observers at a distance, checking him out. And uh, perhaps you're here this morning, when it comes to Jesus, you wouldn't say he's your king, but you're interested. That, that's like the crowds here. And what's important to know about the crowds, as Matthew shows us, is God's heart for the crowds. Uh, you go to chapter 9, verse 36 of Matthew, and we're told this, when he saw, this is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's God's heart for the crowds. And if you want to know how big that heart is and how wide his view is when he's looking at the crowds, uh, if you go to the end of Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, we're told the crowds is all nations, uh, even ones as far flung as this one. So there's the first thing. His teaching is in the context of the crowds. That's important, as we'll see. Second thing to notice is the significance of the word that keeps repeating in this early part of his teaching. I wonder if you heard it. Blessed, blessed, blessed over and over again. Uh, and part of what he's doing there is it's teaching in the context of a very old promise from our God. It's a promise actually hinted at in the very first verse of Matthew's gospel. If you've got Matthew open, if you flick back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see the hint of it there. Uh, talking about what's going to follow in the gospel, verse 1 says, This is an account of the origin of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's that last bit that is the key. Abraham is the hint. Because, see, if you travel back in the, in the Bible, all the way to the very first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, we're told in Genesis 12 that here in a world that has rejected God as king and trying to self-rule, in the midst of that fall of all humanity, God makes a promise to one man, Abraham. And he makes that promise to him out of sheer grace. There's nothing about Abraham that deserves the promise. And his promise is this. He promises, I'm going to bless you again despite this fall. I'm going to bless your family as they grow. I'm going to bless the nation your family will become, Israel. And through that, I'm actually going to bless all the nations of the world. That's his promise to Abraham. It's, it's a blessing of being able to live as God's people again, live with God as king again, live in God's place with him as king again. But back to chapter 5, here's the thing to notice about this teaching. It's actually in the context of that promise being lost. Uh, earlier in Matthew, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, at the end of a sort of, if you like, the history that led up to Jesus, his genealogy, the thing that's emphasised in chapter 1, verse 17, is the context of that promise being lost. Uh, here's the verse. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 
The thing that's said twice there in there is that the context is the exile. It's the exile of those who are supposed to be recipients of this promise of being with God as king in his place, but they weren't. They were outside his place. They were outside this promise that they had. Uh, and here's the thing. If you read through the Old Testament, that experience uh, remained for them, even though they did eventually return to the land. Even then, the Old Testament prophets would say, you know what, this isn't what it was, and it's not what it's meant to be or what it will be. The experience of exile remained for them. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, the important thing for us to grasp as we hear this teaching of Jesus in Warunga in 2024 is that the descriptions of exile all the way through the Old Testament are actually small-scale versions of the state of our whole world. God says to the people of this world, as he did before that original promise in Genesis 12, they're living in darkness, as Israel was in Babylon. And at different moments in history, that darkness feels perhaps more obvious than at other times, doesn't it? Moments where we, we, we know in our hearts and experience in this world that uh, it's far from okay. Uh, all sorts of contemporary symptoms that we experience from fractured relationships or well, the national divisions that are writ large in, in our news or economic hardships, but then the, the really important hardships of just our own physical frailty and the reality of the shadow of death. All of these things are like a, a megaphone saying it's not okay. It's not the way it's meant to be. And the compelling thing about these verses, and as I said, we're finally going to get to chapter 5, uh, the compelling thing about the verses 3 to 10 is if you read through the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms and you read them try and describe the experience of being exiled from God like our world is, the descriptions used are the ones we have here in verses 3 onwards. They speak of the experience of being poor in spirit, being mourners, being meek, being those who in this world thirst and hunger for things to be right again. And they are apt descriptions, not just of the exile for Israel, but the exile our world experiences, estranged from God because of our foolish decision to oppose him as king. There is, if we're honest in our hearts, there is much in our world that is simply not good and not okay. There is over all of that, the shadow of death that we cannot escape. We live in a world where we long to put things right. We live in a world where we may long for that, but it is out of our grasp to actually restore it. Our wealth can't do it. Our wisdom can't do it. Our ways can't do it. Look at Israel in exile, and you actually see a picture of our world 2024. But, and here we are in chapter 5, verses 3 to 10, there's actually another side to the, to the statements made in those verses. And it's, it's again, it's echoing the Old Testament prophets. You see, in the dark days of the exile, the Old Testament prophets kept describing the experience of the exile, but they had another refrain all the way through. And it went something like this. Don't imagine for a moment that this is the end. Remember the plans of his heart, his heart prevails. God has not forgotten his promise. Even here in the dark, light will come again. The exile will end. The blessing will come, even to the crowds, even to the nations. And so here's the moment. Jesus looks at these crowds, harassed and helpless, knows the moment has come because the king has come to bring that blessing. And if you look just before our passage, chapter 4, verse 23, he started to announce the moment. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The king is here. 
And so chapter five, verse one, he goes up on the mountain to teach his first disciples and through them to teach us what it's going to be like to live in this kingdom that he's bringing, what it's going to be like to have him as our king. And he does so, he speaks of these things to those who know the reality of the exile as you do and I do. He speaks to the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who long for things to be right again. He, he does that not to describe, you need to be this way to earn the kingdom. That's not what's happening here. He's describing what we actually are and why we need this king and why we need his kingdom to come. You see, the gospel of King Jesus is the news that those who know the reality of the exile from God, God has promised to them if they come to the king, they will be blessed. It's an invitation to come to the king and receive it. And do you see the blessing that is ours? Do you see the blessing this king brings? Let me just give you a couple of snapshots. Have a look at verses 3 and 10. It's repeated there. Here's one of the blessings when you come to the king. This is the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember the context of this promise lost. So what a, what a blessing that is for a broken world to, to hear this news. There's a king and he's taken charge again. What peace comes from that? Here is one who can actually end the exile where we can't. Here is one who can heal what is broken where we can't. Uh, I was thinking about that during the week and uh, here's where my mind went. This is a strange segue, but we'll go with it. Um, Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> The, the, the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty, which I think perfectly captures what our world is like. Uh, you know how it goes. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. No matter how much wealth or resources or government plans or whatever we may throw at it, we cannot heal this broken world. All the king's horses can't do that. All the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But here's the truth of this passage. The king can. The king can. And he's come to do just that. He's come to make things new. Here's another blessing that the king brings with him. Have a look at verse 4. The blessing that they will be comforted. Uh, what an incredible blessing for those who are brokenhearted by this world to know the promise of comfort. And what comfort could be better than this blessing? Do you see there in verse 9? Knowing that in this kingdom that you are now part of, if you come to the king, you are children of the king. That's who you are in the kingdom. You're, you're like born with a, a coat of arms. You're in the royal family. You belong. You're his. He's yours. Your family. We're family. That's the blessing he brings. Here's another one. The blessing that they will be filled. Again, what a precious promise to a world that is forever pursuing fulfillment. You'll be filled. And part of that promise of fulfillment, you see there in verse 8, they will see God. I reckon all of these blessings hang on the one that's in the middle. Do you see it there in verse 7? They will be shown mercy. That's, uh, that's the blessing that opens the door to all the other ones we've just looked at. Uh, and I reckon it's the key to understanding the good news that King Jesus is teaching his disciples here. The, the Beatitudes aren't to the disciples commands to do these things to gain the kingdom. They're realities of the exile from God and they're invitations for those who confess that reality to receive blessing again. And the only way to receive that blessing is not by merit, but by mercy. 
And I reckon if you carefully read through Matthew's gospel, that's impossible to miss. One of the things that happens all the way through the gospel is you see broken people pleading for it. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, here's one from Matthew 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David, or king, in other words. Here's another one, Matthew 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see the, the plea? And one more, and this is my favourite one. Have a look at Matthew 20, verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on us. I love it. It's, it's almost like as Matthew's gospel goes on, the, the cry for mercy just gets louder and louder and unstoppable. And it's like our invitation to join in. And if we do, here's the good news of the gospel of our King Jesus. Uh, it's news captured really well in the old Anglican prayer book of all things. Here's the truth about our King. He is the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy, which is a ye old English way of saying, you know what? He's always merciful. You can count on that. And what a sweet relief that is for us. What a blessing to know his mercy will never run short for you or me. This is his promise to fools like us who have lived as if we're king. Fools like so many in our world who live under his judgment because of that foolish rejection of him. Do you know what his response to our folly is? It's not to abandon his promise. He can't. He won't. His heart's plans prevail. And so instead, here we have the one, the king who comes for people like us, who comes in mercy, the king who will carry our own foolish sin and its rightful judgment on himself so that we can be forgiven, not out of merit, but mercy. So that I can say without any arrogance in my heart, and you can say with me, ours is the kingdom of heaven. Mine is the whole earth. Mine is fulfillment. Mine is the hope that I will see him. Mine is the privilege and the identity of being his child. And all of that's mine because it's all his and he's the king. Uh, to quote the social media influencers, we are hashtag blessed. Uh, let me say it again one more time so that we are clear. What we have here is not a series of commands, do these things and you'll gain the kingdom. They are realities of the exile that we all experience. And yet for those who seek the mercy of the king, there is blessing. You know what? There's only actually one command for us in the verses that we've read. I wonder if you heard it. It's, it's there in verse 12. One imperative from all of this. Rejoice. Be glad. If we're seeing the king and his mercy properly, that, that's the impulse. Is that your impulse, your natural impulse, as you think about being a follower of this king? That's what I love about my old friend, Kath, uh, who I can't wait to see again in the new creation. That's why even with all her restrictions and infirmities, she was utterly ablaze with light for the king because she knew who she was. I wonder, as we consider the causes that might diminish our own light, whether this could be a factor. How easy it is in this world, marked by the foolishness of self-rule and the false hope of so much treasure, how easy it would be to lose sight of who we actually are because of this king. How easy to forget and instead want to be someone or something else in this world. And as a parent, I feel this acutely 
to want that even for our kids as we put them through an endless track of pursuing other priorities that will not fill them, not in a month of Sundays, not in a year of Sundays, not in a lifetime of Sundays. It will leave them restless as it leaves us. It's no wonder then that in 5 verse 1, Jesus seeing the harassed and helpless crowds does not tell us to charge in amongst that harassment and helplessness and be just as harassed and helpless. No, he takes the disciples up on the mountain, away from the noise and the lights of a world in exile, and he teaches them. What power comes from listening well to this merciful king? He'll say later in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My encouragement to us, my prayer for us as a church, is that we will listen to the king this year. And that from that, the impulse of our hearts will be, verse 12, rejoice, be glad. What joy comes from knowing who you are in this world because of this king's mercy? To to live with no more pretense or no more restless striving, just mercy. And as we'll see next week, what purpose comes from that identity too? You are the light of the world. So then, let the light shine. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your plans stand, your heart prevails. We thank you that your heart is faithful and true, that your mercies are new every morning. And we thank you that that has reached us and we long to be those who rest in that mercy. Help us, Lord. Amen. Well, as the band comes up,